Chapter Eighteen of Joshua by George Ebers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen. A long hour's walk beyond the little temple where the prisoners had rested the road leading to Sukkoth and the western arm of the Red Sea branched off from the one that ran in a southeasterly direction past the fortifications on the isthmus to the mines. Shortly after the departure of the prisoners, the army which had been gathered to pursue the Hebrews left the city of Ramesses, and as the convicts had rested some time at the well, the troops almost overtook them. They had not proceeded far when several runners came hurrying up to clear the road for the advancing army. They ordered the prisoners to move aside and defer their march until the swifter baggage train, bearing Pharaoh's tents and traveling equipments, whose chariot wheels could already be heard, had passed them. The prisoners' guards were glad to stop. They were in no hurry. The day was hot, and if they reached their destination later, it would be the fault of the army. The interruption was welcome to Joshua, too, for his young companion had been gazing into vacancy as if bewildered, and either made no answer to his questions, or gave such incoherent ones that the older man grew anxious. He knew how many of those sentenced to forced labor went mad or fell into melancholy. Now a portion of the army would pass them, and the spectacle was new to Ephraim, and promised to put an end to his dull brooding. A sandhill overgrown with tamarisk bushes rose beside the road, and thither the leader guided the party of convicts. He was a stern man, but not a cruel one, so he permitted his moles to lie down on the sand, for the troops would doubtless be a long time in passing. As soon as the convicts had thrown themselves on the ground, the rattle of wheels, the neighing of fiery steeds, shouts of command, and sometimes the disagreeable braying of an ass were heard. When the first chariots appeared, Ephraim asked if Pharaoh was coming, but Joshua, smiling, informed him that when the king accompanied the troops to the field, the camp equipage followed directly behind the vanguard, for Pharaoh and his dignitaries wished to find the tents pitched and the tables laid. When the day's march was over, and the soldiers and officers expected a night's repose. Joshua had not finished speaking when a number of empty carts and unladen asses appeared. They were to carry the contributions of bread and meal, animals and poultry, wine and beer, levied on every village the sovereign passed on the march, and which had been delivered to the tax-gatherers the day before. Soon after, a division of chariot warriors followed. Every pair of horses drew a small, two-wheeled chariot, cased in bronze, and in each stood a warrior and the driver of the team. Huge quivers were fastened to the front of the chariots, and the soldiers leaned on their lances or on gigantic bows. Shirts covered with brazen scales, or padded coats of mail with gay overmantle, a helmet, and the front of the chariot protected the warrior from the missiles of the foe. This troop, which Joshua said was the van, went by at a slow trot, and was followed by a great number of carts and wagons, drawn by horses, mules, or oxen, as well as whole troops of heavily laden asses. The uncle now pointed out to his nephew the long masts, poles, and heavy rolls of costly stuffs intended for the royal tent, and borne by numerous beasts of burden, as well as the asses and carts with the kitchen utensils and field forges. Among the baggage heaped on the asses, which were followed by nimble drivers, rode the physicians, 
tailors, salve-makers, cooks, weavers of garlands, attendants and slaves belonging to the camp. Their departure had been so recent that they were still fresh and inclined to jest, and whoever caught sight of the convicts flung them, in the Egyptian fashion, a caustic whip which many sought to palliate by the gift of alms. Others, who said nothing, also sent by the ass-drivers fruit and trifling gifts, for those who were free to-day might share the fate of these hapless men to-morrow. The captain permitted it, and when passing a slave, whom Joshua had sold for thieving, shouted the name of Hosea, pointing to him with a malicious gesture, the rough but kind-hearted officer offered his insulted prisoner a sip of wine from his own flask. Ephraim, who had walked from Sukkoth to Tanis with a staff in his hand, and a small bundle containing bread, dried lamb, radishes, and dates, expressed his amazement at the countless people and things a single man needed for his comfort, and then relapsed into his former melancholy, until his uncle roused him with farther explanations. As soon as the baggage train had passed, the commander of the band of prisoners wished to set off, but the openers of the way, who preceded the archers, forbade him, because it was not seemly for convicts to mingle with soldiers. So they remained on their hillock, and continued to watch the troops. The archers were followed by heavily armed troops, bearing shields covered with strong hides so large that they extended from the feet to above the middle of the tallest man, and Hosea now told the youth that in the evening they set them side by side, thus surrounding the royal tent like a fence. Besides this weapon of defense, they carried a lance, a short dagger-like sword, or a battle-sickle, and as these thousands were succeeded by a body of men armed with slings, Ephraim for the first time spoke without being questioned, and said that the slings the shepherds had taught him to make were far better than those of the soldiers, and, encouraged by his uncle, he described in language so eager that the prisoners lying by his side listened, how he had succeeded in slaying not only jackals, wolves and panthers, but even vultures, with stones hurled from a sling. Meanwhile he interrupted himself to ask the meaning of the standards and the names of the separate divisions. Many thousands had already passed, when another troop of warriors in chariots appeared, and the chief warder of the prisoners exclaimed, the good god the lord of two worlds may life happiness and health be his with these words he fell upon his knees in the attitude of worship while the convicts prostrated themselves to kiss the earth and be ready to obey the captain's bidding and join at the right moment in the cry life happiness and health but they had a long time to wait ere the expected sovereign appeared for after the warriors in the chariots had passed the bodyguard followed, foot-soldiers of foreign birth, with singular ornaments on their helmets and huge swords, and then numerous images of the gods, a large band of priests and wearers of plumes. They were followed by more bodyguards, and then Pharaoh appeared with his attendants. At their head rode the chief priest by, in a gilded battle chariot drawn by magnificent bay stallions. He who had formerly led troops in the field, had assumed the command of this pursuing expedition ordered by the gods, and though clad in priestly robes, he also wore the helmet and battle-axe of a general. At last, directly behind his equipage, came Pharaoh himself, but he did not go to battle like his warlike predecessors in a war-chariot, 
but preferred to be carried on a throne a magnificent canopy protected him above and large thick round ostrich feather fans carried by his fan bearers sheltered him on both sides from the scorching rays of the sun after menefeta had left the city and the gate of victory behind him the exulting exclamations of the multitude had ceased to amuse him he had gone to sleep and the shading fans would have concealed his face and figure from the prisoners had not their shouts been loud enough to rouse him and induce him to turn his head toward them the gracious wave of his right hand showed that he had expected to see different people from convicts and ere the shouts of the hapless men had died away his eyes closed again ephraim's silent brooding had now yielded to the deepest interest and as the empty golden war chariot of the king before which pranced the most superb steeds he had ever seen rolled by he burst into loud exclamations of admiration these noble animals on whose intelligent heads large bunches of feathers nodded and whose rich harness glittered with gold and gems were indeed a splendid sight the large gold quivers set with emeralds fastened on the sides of the chariot were filled with arrows the feeble man to whose weak hand the guidance of a great nation was entrusted the weakling who shrunk from every exertion regained his lost energy whenever hunting was in prospect he considered this campaign a chase on the grandest scale and as it seemed royal pastime to discharge his arrows at the human beings he had so lately feared instead of at game he had obeyed the chief priest's summons and joined the expedition it had been undertaken by the mandate of the great god amon so he had little to dread from mesu's terrible power when he captured him he would make him atone for having caused pharaoh and his queen to tremble before him and shed so many tears on his account while joshua was still telling the youth from which phoenician city the golden chariots came he suddenly felt ephraim's right hand clutch his wrist and heard him exclaim she she look yonder it is she the youth had flushed crimson and he was not mistaken the beautiful kasana was passing amid pharaoh's train in the same chariot in which she had pursued the convicts and with her came a considerable number of ladies who had joined what the commander of the foot soldiers a brave old warrior who had served under the great rameses termed a pleasure party on campaigns through the desert and into syria libya or ethiopia the sovereign was accompanied only by a chosen band of concubines in curtained chariots guarded by eunuchs but this time though the queen had remained at home the wife of the chief priest by and other aristocratic ladies had set the example of joining the troops and it was doubtless tempting enough to many to enjoy the excitements of war without peril kasana had surprised her friend by her appearance an hour before only yesterday the young widow could not be persuaded to accompany the troops obeying an inspiration without consulting her father so unprepared that she lacked the necessary travelling equipments she had joined the expedition and it seemed as if a man whom she had hitherto avoided though he was no less a personage than sipta the king's nephew had become a magnet to her when she passed the prisoners the prince was standing in the chariot beside the young beauty in her nurse's place explaining in jesting tones the significance of the flowers in a bouquet which kasana declared could not possibly have been intended for her because an hour and a quarter before she had not thought of going with the army 
but Sipta protested that the Hathors had revealed at sunrise the happiness in store for him, and that the choice of each single blossom proved his assertion. Several young courtiers who were walking in front of their chariots surrounded them and joined in the laughter and merry conversation, in which the vivacious wife of the chief priest shared, having left her large travelling chariot to be carried in a litter. None of these things escaped Joshua's notice, and as he saw Kasana, who a short time before had thought of the prince with aversion, now saucily tap his hand with her fan, his brow darkened, and he asked himself whether the young widow was not carelessly trifling with his misery. But the prisoner's chief warder had now noticed the locks on Sipta's temples, which marked him as a prince of the royal household, and his loud, Hail! Hail! in which the other guards and captives joined, was heard by Kasana and her companions. They looked toward the tamarisk bushes, whence the cry proceeded, and Joshua saw the young widow turn pale, and then point with a hasty gesture to the convicts. She must undoubtedly have given Sipta some command, for the latter at first shrugged his shoulders disapprovingly. Then, after a somewhat lengthy discussion, half grave, half jesting, he sprang from the chariot and beckoned to the chief jailer. Have these men, he called from the road so loudly that Kasana could not fail to hear, seen the face of the good God, the Lord of both worlds? And when he received a reluctant answer, he went on arrogantly. No matter, at least they beheld mine and that of the fairest of women, and if they hope for favor on that account, they are right. You know who I am. Let the chains that bind them together be removed. Then beckoning to the man, he whispered, But keep your eyes open all the wider. I have no liking for the fellow beside the bush, the ex-chief Hosea. After returning home, report to me and bring news of this man. The quieter he has become, the deeper my hand will sink in my purse. Do you understand? The warder bowed, thinking, I will take care of my prince, and see also that no one attempts to take the life of any of my moles. The greater the rank of these gentlemen, the more bloody and strange are their requests. How many have come to me with similar ones? He releases the poor wretch's feet, and wants me to burden my soul with a shameful murder? Sipta has tried the wrong man. Here, Hedder, bring the bag of tools and open the mole's chains. While the files were grating on the sand hill by the road, and the prisoners were being released from the fetters on their ankles, though for the sake of security each man's arms were bound together, Pharaoh's hosts marched by. Kasana had commanded Prince Sipta to release from their iron burden the unfortunates who were being dragged to a life of misery, openly confessing that she could not bear to see a chief, who had so often been a guest of her house, so cruelly humiliated. Bai's wife had supported her wish, and the prince obliged to yield. Joshua knew to whom he and Ephraim owed this favor, and received it with grateful joy. Walking had been made easier for him, but his mind was more and more sorely oppressed with anxious cares. The army passing yonder would have been enough to destroy down to the last man, a force ten times greater than the number of his people. His people, and with them, his father and Miriam, who had caused him such keen suffering, yet to whom he was indebted for having found the way which, even in prison, he had recognized as the only right one, seemed to him marked out for a bloody doom. 
for however powerful might be the god whose greatness the prophetess had praised in such glowing words and to whom he himself had learned to look up with devout admiration untrained and unarmed bands of shepherds must surely and hopelessly succumb to the assault of this army this certainty strengthened by each advancing division pierced his very soul never before had he felt such burning anguish which was terribly sharpened when he beheld the familiar faces of his own troops which he had so lately commanded pass before him under the leadership of another this time they were taking the field to hew down men of his own blood this was pain indeed and ephraim's conduct gave him cause for fresh anxiety since kasana's appearance and interference in behalf of him and his companions in suffering the youth had again lapsed into silence and gazed with wandering eyes at the army or into vacancy now he too was freed from the chain and joshua asked in a whisper if he did not long to return to his people to help them resist so powerful a force but ephraim merely answered when confronted with those hosts they can do nothing but yield what did we lack before the exodus you are a hebrew and yet became a mighty chief among the egyptians ere you obeyed miriam's summons in your place i would have pursued a different course what would you have done asked joshua sternly what replied the youth the fire of his young soul blazing what only this i would have remained where there is honor and fame and everything beautiful you might have been the greatest of the great the happiest of the happy this i have learned but you made a different choice because duty commanded it joshua answered gravely because i will no longer serve any one save the people among whom i was born the people exclaimed ephraim contemptuously i know them and you met them at sukkoth the poor are miserable wretches who cringe under the lash the rich value their cattle above all else and if they are head of the tribes quarrel with one another no one knows aught of what pleases the eye and the heart they call me one of the richest of the race and yet i shudder when i think of the house i inherited one of the best and the largest one who has seen more beautiful ones ceases to long for such an abode the vein on joshua's brow swelled and he wrathfully rebuked the youth for denying his own blood and being a traitor to his people the guard commanded silence for joshua had raised his reproving voice louder and this order seemed welcome to the defiant youth when during their march his uncle looked sternly into his face or asked whether he had thought of his words he turned angrily away and remained mute and sullen until the first star had risen the night camp had been made under the open sky and the scanty prison rations had been served joshua dug with his hands a resting place in the sand and with care and skill helped the youth to prepare a similar one ephraim silently accepted this help but as they lay side by side and the uncle began to speak to his nephew of the god of his people on whose aid they must rely if they were not to fall victims to despair in the mines the youth interrupted him exclaiming in low tones but with fierce resolution they will not take me to the mines alive i would rather die while making my escape than pine away in such wretchedness joshua whispered words of warning and again reminded him of his duties to his people but ephraim begged to be led alone 
yet soon after he touched his uncle and asked softly what are they planning with prince sipta i don't know nothing good that is certain and where is arsu the syrian your foe who commands the asiatic mercenaries and who was to watch us with such fierce zeal i did not see him with the others he remained in tanis with his troops to guard the palace undoubtedly then he commands many soldiers and pharaoh has confidence in him the utmost though he ill deserves it and he is a syrian and therefore of our blood and more closely allied to us than to the egyptians at least so far as language and appearance are concerned i should have taken him for a man of our race yet he is as you were one of the leaders of the army other syrians and libyans command large troops of mercenaries and the herald ben manaza one of the highest dignitaries of the court the egyptians call him rameses in the sanctuary of ra has a hebrew father and neither he nor the others are scorned on account of their birth this is not quite so but why do you ask these questions i cannot sleep and so such thoughts came to you but you have some definite idea in your mind and if my inference is correct it would cause me pain you wish to enter pharaoh's service both were silent a long time then ephraim spoke again and though he addressed joshua it seemed as if he were talking to himself they will destroy our people bondage and shame await those who survive my house is now left to ruin not a head of my splendid herds of cattle remains and the gold and silver i inherited of which there was said to be a goodly store they are carrying with them for your father has charge of my wealth and it will soon fall as booty into the hands of the egyptians shall i if i obtain my liberty return to my people and make bricks shall i bow my back and suffer blows and abuse joshua eagerly whispered you must appeal to the god of your fathers that he may protect and defend his people yet if the most high has willed the destruction of our race be a man and learn to hate with all the might of your young soul those who trample your people under their feet fly to the syrians offer them your strong young arm and take no rest till you have avenged yourself on those who have shed the blood of your people and load you though innocent with chains again silence reigned for some time nothing was heard from ephraim's rude couch save a dull low moan from his oppressed breast but at last he answered softly the chains no longer weigh upon us and how could i hate her who released us from them remain grateful to kasana was the whispered reply but hate her nation hosea heard the youth toss restlessly and again sighed heavily and moan it was past midnight the waxing moon rode high in the heavens and the sleepless man did not cease to listen for sounds from the youth but the latter remained silent though slumber had evidently fled from him also for a noise as if he were grinding his teeth came from his place of rest or had mice wandered into this barren place where hard brown blades of grass grew between the crusts of salt and the bare spots and were gnawing the prisoner's hard bread such gnawing and grinding disturbed the sleep of one who longs for slumber but joshua desired to keep awake to continue to open the eyes of the blinded youth yet he waited in vain for any sign of life from his nephew at last he was about to lay his hand on the lad's shoulder 
but paused as by the moonlight he saw ephraim raise one arm though before he lay down both hands were tied more firmly than before joshua now knew that it was the youth's sharp teeth gnawing the rope which had caused the noise that had just surprised him and he immediately stood up and looked first upward and then around him holding his breath the older man watched every movement and his heart began to throb anxiously ephraim meant to fly and the first step toward escape had already succeeded would that the others might prosper too but he feared that the liberated youth might enter the wrong path he was the only son of his beloved sister a fatherless and motherless lad so he had never enjoyed the uninterrupted succession of precepts and lessons which only a mother can give and a defiant young spirit will accept from her alone the hands of strangers had bound the sapling to a stake and it had shot straight upward but a mother's love would have ennobled it with carefully chosen grafts he had grown up beside another hearth than his parents yet the latter is the only true home for youth what marvel if he felt himself a stranger among his people amid such thoughts a great sense of compassion stole over joshua and with it the consciousness that he was deeply accountable for this youth who for his sake while on the way to bring him a message had fallen into sore misfortune but much as he longed to warn him once more against treason and perjury he refrained fearing to imperil his success any noise might attract the attention of the guards and he took as keen an interest in the attempt at liberation as if ephraim had made it at his suggestion so instead of annoying the youth with fruitless warnings he kept watch for him life had taught him that good advice was more frequently unheeded than followed and only personal experiences possess resistless power of instruction the chief's practiced eye soon showed him the way by which ephraim if fortune favored him could escape he called softly and directly after his nephew answered i'll loose your ropes if you will hold up your hands to me mine are free joshua's tense features brightened the defiant lad was a noble fellow after all and risked his own chance in behalf of one who if he escaped with him threatened to bar the way in which in youthful blindness he hoped to find happiness end of chapter eighteen